As you listen to my voice, how do you know that the real you is not hooked up to a machine feeding reality into your brain? Or when you go to bed at night, how do you know that the world did not switch off and that when you woke up, the world switched back on? Today, dead philosophers tell us what is and what is not. Hi, my name is Terence and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Today, I review Consequences of Ideas, Understanding the Concepts that Shaped Our World by R.C. Sproul, 224 pages published by Crossway in 2000. In Amazon, this book costs $59.92 for the hardcover and $19.99 for the paperback. I don't see a Kindle version. And if you were alert, last month, this book was free from Logos.com. And if you didn't get the free book then, I'm here today to tell you what a great deal you missed. R.C. Sproul will be remembered in history for popularizing Reformed theology. Popularizing not by bringing theology down, dumbing it down to appeal to popular opinion, but by bringing people up to gaze upon heaven, these glorious things of God, to be in awe of the holiness of God. There are teachers who can communicate deep theology, For example, Martin Lloyd-Jones, J.I. Packer, John Piper. But no one can communicate and teach like Sproul with his growl and chuckle. One minute a profound insight, the next minute a rousing zinger. His impish jokes, very schoolboyish pranks, are classic, unforgettable moments in church history. All this is to explain why I come to this book as a child would to his favourite teacher. Today's book from Sproul is not about theology, but a close relative of it, philosophy. In the past, I have tried to make sense of philosophy, in particular modern philosophy, and I failed. So I come to this book expecting Sproul to break it down, show us how philosophy relates to us today, why should I care, and all the while, I want his trademark clarity and wit. Let's open the book. This is from the introduction. I quote, The summer of 1959. My biggest concern was summer employment. Many friends who were engineering students had found lucrative summer jobs that paid well above the minimum wage. My prospects were bleak. I was a philosophy major. I did not find in the newspaper a single want ad calling for philosophers. My only real option was a job for unskilled labour paying the minimum wage. Even at that, I was delighted to be offered work in the maintenance department of a hospital. When the foreman heard I was a philosophy major, he handed me a broom and said, Here, you can think all you want while you're leaning on the broom. End quote. 
I can hear, I can literally hear his voice and see his grinning face when I read this book. And now let me continue to read from the introduction. Actually, are you, uh, I should ask this in the beginning, but are you interested in philosophy? Now, let's just say that you are not. And let's just see how Sproul hooks you in. I quote, During my first week on the job, I was reaching the end of my sweeping territory. My zone ended where the main hospital driveway intersected the parking lot of the nurse's home. I noticed another man sweeping the adjacent parking lot. He greeted me, and we exchanged names and pleasantries. When I told him I was a college student, he asked me what I was studying. When I said philosophy, his face brightened and his eyes lit up. He fired a barrage of questions at me, inquiring about Descartes, Plato, Hegel, Kant, Kierkegaard, and others. I was astonished at this man's knowledge. He obviously knew far more about philosophy than I did. My new friend was from Germany. He had his PhD in philosophy and had been a professor of philosophy in Berlin. When Adolf Hitler came to power, the Nazis were not content to find a final solution for Jews and gypsies. They also sought to eliminate intellectuals whose ideas were at odds with the values of the Third Reich. My friend was removed from his position. When he spoke out against the Nazis, his wife and all but one of his children were arrested and executed. He escaped from Germany with his young daughter. Then Sproul here homes in to his crucial point. I quote, I muse on something else that morning, which is why I am recounting the tale here. I was pushing a broom because I live in a culture that sees little value in philosophy and gives scant esteem to those who pursue it. My friend was pushing a broom on the other hand because he came from a culture that gave great weight to philosophy. His family was destroyed because Hitler understood that ideas are dangerous. Hitler so feared the consequences of my friend's ideas that he did everything possible to eliminate him and his ideas. End quote. As I did so often reading this book, I paused. I reflected on our own times. R.C. Sproul wrote this introduction in the year 2000. At that time, I would say nobody knew critical theory or gender ideology. It was just an idea in someone's head far, far away from the public. Today, it seems to be the only thing everybody talks about. And that's the, the effect of an idea with great consequence. And if you start thinking about ideas with consequences, you can... Think of other examples. Marxism, Darwinism are also ideas that have, and this is such a trite way to put it, changed the world. Karl Marx appears in chapter 10 of the book, Darwin in chapter 14. Marx and Darwin are known influencers. How about the less well-known but no less influential people? And it's not just bad ideas that have consequences. How about good ideas? Now, the book starts from the first philosophers, Thales, Pythagoras, Heraclitus, Parmenides, Zeno, Empedocles, 
Anaxagoras. Oh dear, I can't pronounce any of these names. But, uh, and some of these names I would say is unfamiliar to uh, many of us. But as we read the next names, as we continue to the next chapters, so I'm just going to read through uh, from chapters 2 to chapters uh, 14. These are the names that the people that you will meet in the book. We have Plato, Aristotle, Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, René Descartes, John Locke, David Hume, Immanuel Kant, Karl Marx, Soren Kierkegaard, Friedrich Nietzsche, Jean-Paul Sartre, Darwin, and Freud. So these are the various chapters. So we have 14 chapters, and then uh, it closes with um, a conclusion uh, titled Gilson's Choice. You will note that the book is organized around individuals rather than philosophical ideas. So it's Thomas Aquinas, not Thomism, Karl Marx, not Marxism, Friedrich Nietzsche, not Nihilism. And organizing the book around people is actually a very good idea. The best introduction to an idea is to understand the man. Why was Socrates forced to commit suicide? How did David Hume so provoke Immanuel Kant that we have Kant's response to him? Soren Kierkegaard argued that in Denmark, to quote Sproul, the state church had reduced Christianity to an empty formalism and externalism, which in effect produces mere spectators to true Christianity. Now, how did Kierkegaard go from here to become the father of modern existentialism? And how is it that what he observed in his time still seems so prevalent today. Another thing we can learn from the table of contents, and by the way, if you don't know this, let me tell you that one of the best ways to figure out what a book is about is to simply look at the table of contents. You can get a lot from a well-written, well-thought-out table of contents. If you can't judge a book by its cover, you could very well judge it by its table of contents. So back to Sproul's book. From the table contents, we can also see that it is chronological. He starts from the philosophers in ancient Greece, and zoom, 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 he stops at Darwin and Freud. I suppose if Sproul was alive today, he might be tempted to write about critical theory. And how I wish that Sproul was here to explain to us, to me, how we got from philosophy professors making unintelligible prose to police arresting parents simply for demanding that boys be boys and girls be girls. This just goes to show how philosophy never stops. There will always be more ideas ahead, more consequences, thus more reasons for all of us to understand where all these things are coming from. In merely 220 pages or so, you get a summary of 2,500 years of conversation, philosophical conversations about God, God in a small g, and reality. Some guy in ancient Greece says something, then later on somebody like Augustine refutes it, and then later on someone else refutes Augustine, and this continues all the way to our postmodern world. So this long conversation has does involve some reality-bending, mind-twisting concepts. And R.C. Sproul goes right into it. He is not content to 
to just tell you amusing anecdotes. He includes them in this book. But he really means to teach you philosophy. He invites us to live the examined life, to reflect on what is it that we really believe and think about the world we live in. In chapter 4 on Augustine, Sproul explains the big cultural influences of the day, the Stoics, the Epicureans, the Skeptics, and the Neoplatonists. On Epicureans, Sproul writes, I quote, Epicureans sought to escape the hedonistic paradox. The pursuit of pleasure alone ends in either frustration, if the pursuit fails, or boredom, if it succeeds. Both frustration and boredom are kinds of pain, the antithesis of pleasure. Thus, Epicureans sought not the maximum pleasure, but the optimum pleasure. They concluded that a wise man's diet of bread and water will be more likely will more likely bring happiness than a glutton's diet of gourmet food. End quote. Epicureans have understood what many today don't, and you may be one of them, and that is the hedonistic paradox. And let me repeat: the pursuit of pleasure alone ends in either frustration if the pursuit fails, or boredom if it succeeds. And someone in your life might want to hear about that. And if someone else had written this book, that guy could have pointed out that the Epicurean way of life is good. The Epicureans have found a solution to optimize pleasure. And actually today, you can see their influence in self-improvement books. Um, You have gurus promoting lifestyle changes. And you get ancient wisdom, Greek wisdom, packaged in bite-sized videos in social media with clickbait titles. Yet, interestingly, uh, Sproul does not, he does not engage with the Epicureans. He could. He is an apologist. He could easily tell us that there is something wrong with the Epicureans, that the real solution to the hedonistic paradox is the gospel. But he doesn't jump to that. Rather, He introduces the Epicureans in the chapter not as a foil to tell us what we should believe and how we should live, but as the necessary background to his main point, which is to understand Augustine, the man and his ideas. Sproul's focus throughout the book is to faithfully expound, not the Bible, but to faithfully expound the man and their ideas. For example, um, Karl Marx. It's so easy to vilify Karl Marx. Marxism is a political slur today. But this name-calling does nothing to inform us of Marxism's attraction and the frenzy-inducing power that it has. So, Sproul explains what Karl Marx is about. Karl Marx has a PhD in philosophy, He has this ideal vision of society. And as we read from this book, this society makes sense. Kind of. It sounds so wonderful. And Sproul tells us all of that, but he is also compelled to speak up before you join the millions of people sucked into Marxism. Sproul writes, Marx predicted that the condition of workers in capitalist societies would become steadily worse the poor would become poorer while the rich would become richer until the masses would revolt and take over the means of production for themselves. 
This was Marx's greatest error. He assumed the myth that the rich can only get rich at the expense of the poor. One man's gain must spell another man's loss. No economic system has been as effective as capitalism in raising the human standard of living. That was the conclusion on his assessment of uh, Marxism. Now, the interesting thing here is not that Sproul is against Marxism. You know, lots of people are against Marxism. If you, read, if you came to read this book because of Sproul, R.C. Sproul, the writer of the, of the Holy God, okay, the holiness of God, you might be forgiven to expect more arguments from Scripture, more theology. But against Marxism, he brings not the crucifixion, but capitalism. Now, this is a podcast dedicated to Christian book reviews. And surprise, surprise, today's book is not a Christian book. It is a book written by a Christian, and there is a distinction between the two. But though um, I'm quite happy to conflate. You see, R.C. Sproul gives us, an, in this book, an introduction to philosophy. And so, it only makes sense that to counter Marxism, you use the other working, I mean, the, only, the other economic system that actually works, which is capitalism. It would be illogical to inject Christianity into the discussion because Christianity is not an economic system. However, having said that, Sproul is not conceding in any way that Christianity should stay out of public discussions. So you don't have a book where God is not mentioned anywhere. That's not what this book is about. It's just that he is very clear on the objective of the book, which is on philosophy. Now let me just explain by giving a few examples. In the first chapter, Sproul quotes Protagoras, not Pythagoras, uh, is Protagoras, the father of ancient humanism, according to Sproul, which, who, who said that man is the measure of all things. Sproul then says, I quote, from a biblical perspective, of course, the honor, that's his humor, the honor of being the first humanist does not belong to Protagoras. Indeed, it is not accorded to a man, but to a serpent, whose maxim was, you will be like God. Genesis 3, verse 4. Then in chapter 12, uh, Sproul uh, writes about Nietzsche. And then Nietzsche distinguished between slave morality and master morality. The master is strong. The slave is weak. The master is his own judge. Might makes right. The slave morality, on the other hand, elevates soft things. They elevate sympathy patience, kindness, humility, and so forth. And Sproul makes a side remark, and it is a side remark, that this sounds a lot like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. So, what I like about this book is how Sproul exemplifies how Christians can participate in public discourse. If you want to understand philosophy, you can get it from a Christian. You don't have to choose some guy who just refuses to mention God or his belief. Just because he doesn't mention these things doesn't mean that he is a better teacher for philosophy. And Christians should not write uh, addressing topics like this and invite 
the reader to say a word of prayer at the end of every chapter. So I think that sprawl over here is representing how a public intellectual can address topics without clumsily just putting Christianity front and center. Yeah, we can talk about philosophy, we can talk about politics, biology, medicine, astronomy, or any other subject from a Christian point of view. The Christian, just like any other person, has an opinion. He can talk about things. He can joke about things. He can uh, just let the other guy know that he has, he's coming from a religious uh, background, belief. And you see, just because a person does not mention God, that is in itself an opinion. The atheist who insists that his book say nothing about God is expressing an opinion. And this is a consequence of an idea. And that idea, if you trace it all the way to its root, is a philosophy. So here I'm saying, Christian or not, okay, whether you're Christian or not, you should give R.C. Sproul's book a try. Sproul guides us through the history of philosophical thought using every trick in the book. You have stories, diagrams, reasoning, drama, and humor. And once in a while, he lets us know what he thinks. But the side remarks do not detract from what is an excellent introduction to Western philosophy. This is a Reading and Readers Review of Consequences of Ideas, Understanding the Concepts that Shaped Our World by R.C. Sproul. 224 pages published by Crossway in the year 2000. It's $59.92, $59 for the hardcover, $20 for the paperback. There is no Kindle version. It was free in Logos last month, but in Logos, it's now $13.99. Now, is it worth paying for the book? Well, that really depends on how you see value. And how you see value really depends on how you see reality. And that is where philosophy comes in. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.